This is Artistic Intelligence, where we explore the intersection of art, sustainability, and technology. This show is brought to you in partnership with the United Nations ITU AI for Good, Changing the Story podcast, and State. Now let's join your co-hosts, Neil Sahota and Michael Ashley. Welcome to another episode of Artistic Intelligence. We've got an amazing guest today, Valentine Goddard. She's a lawyer, mediator, inner art curator, artist, and is the founder and executive director of the AI Impact Alliance, an independent nonprofit organization operating globally whose mission is to facilitate an ethical and responsible implementation of AI and the producer of the annual conference AI on social mission and the art impact AI workshops. She's a member of the United Nations expert groups on the role of public institutions and the transformative impact of new technologies. She also has the role of digital technologies on social impact development and well-being for all. It's a it's quite a mouthful for an expert group. I wouldn't expect anything else from the UN, but I think the most important thing is that uh, Valentine sits on several committees related to the ethical and social impact of AI while being regularly invited to speak at international conferences. In her multidisciplinary and applied approach to the ethics of AI, she places special emphasis on human dignity, having initiated through her career cultural and social mediation projects for human rights education. Valentine, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being on the show. Is, is, is it Valentine or Valentine? I'm sorry. That's okay. It's Valentine. Thank you for the beautiful introduction, Neil. That was great. Thanks. Good to have you, Valentine. So, Valentine, can you tell us the story about you as an artist and how you got to be where you are and what kind of art that you do? Well, thank you very much for uh, having me, Michael and Neil. I'm really happy to be um, here with you and talking about the uh, role that um, art can have on understanding the, the future of AI. And uh, so a little bit about myself going back, I started by um, studying sociology and theater. And I then decided to move on to law and become a, a lawyer. And then as a lawyer, I went back to art to use art to talk about human rights. So I think my entire career, I've moved from art to law and moved and when AI became um, something that was clearly going to be deployed into society and used and have an, an impact, positive potential and some risks as well. Um, I saw the implications with human rights and I went back of course to art, which is my preferred tool to um, either engage citizens or myself as an artist to think and, and uh, about uh, certain concepts. So I, I'm kind of curious about this dynamic because you're, you're doing some incredible work and you're really highlighting some key issues on human rights. Art and law is not something I normally think of, right? Well, kind of what was your trigger point, you know, to mold the two or do the two together? I, I think it's, um, it's more of a path that you can build between the two. And um, some researchers in policy that we're studying um, how to uh, have more informed and legitimate policies in new science applications. 
found that what they need to have the, the best informed legitimate policies was a large number of people, a diverse a number of people who understand the implications of the use of that new technology or science. Art is, and especially interactive art like theater, public art, um, visual art that can um, help you question certain or understand uh, bias, for example, or um, so I, I think that's the road that I see between a art and, and law is art is a tool for civic engagement and understanding of different issues and help us think as citizens around certain issues and then inform public policies and those ethical frameworks or the policies then become law are adopted. So as a lawyer, you do understand the process that leads to adoption of laws. So I like to go through all the steps from art to adoption of new laws. And AI is, of course, being called upon to be um, regulated or frameworks built around it. Uh, so that's the path that I like to uh, travel by. That's awesome and fascinating. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your art, especially people who may not be familiar with what you're creating, and tell us a little bit about it? Um, there's there's different um, parts. Um, I'll talk about two projects that are um, ongoing now. Um, there's the visual art that I started playing around with myself. I used to do 16 millimeter hand-painted film. And I got into AI art, or what is um, maybe a bit more technically explained is that there's uh, attention GANs will take a, a text that I choose to put in. It interprets uh, the, the text. So for example, if I say this is a red bird, the science behind it is that the AI should be able to uh, draw me a red bird or represent me a red bird. Um, and, but I use that for artistic purposes and uh, to understand the bias in, in the data sets and uh, the training sets. So for example, if I put in um, a very obvious uh, example is um, I'll put in women, beauty, imperfection, and I get an abstract pear shape contemporary art piece. Um, if I put in words around civil society, governance, the role of art in AI, I think is a very positive text. AI will interpret it um, as the modern version of the screen and with police blue. And uh, like, well, why? I thought it was a positive text. Why, why is it not getting the intention? And then um, through another project during COVID and lockdown, I worked with some um, artists, um, interactive documentary artists um, uh, around the world. Uh, one of them started uh, a project called uh, Corona Haikus. And then I got into using it in poetry. So I would take the poetry and I still was wanted to see if the attention again could understand the intention of what, of what I was saying and when it understood and when it didn't. In poetry, it was interesting because it was actually able to understand the overall mood. So if I'm talking about digital tears and petals and it would actually draw something that resembled that melancholy, for example. Um, so that is the, maybe the more personal um, exploration that I'm doing, uh, continuing the visual artwork that I, I did. Um, again, for example, uh, one piece I submitted recently was 
a superimposition of the old 16 um, millimeter uh, film work, so from analog to AI art, and who's watching who, because you can really feel the layers in the painting, and the 16 mil, the analog film is scratched, and behind it is the AI. So who, am I watching AI, or is AI watching us, is a little bit the discussion that we're having there. Yeah. Um, another, maybe more part of my inter-arts curator type of, uh, of work, is um, we toured um, uh, Canada last year. I toured Canada, went to the 13 provinces and territories, and met with over 200 artists to talk about the potential risks of AI, and hear their hopes and uh, fears or strategies that they, uh, um, what, what they thought about AI. Did they want to have more access? Did they want to have more impact on the AI's development and governance? Did they want to have more information? And that's what I'm compiling right now. Um, I wouldn't say consultation because I think that's very tokenizing, but really just the knowledge sharing, the experience, the chance that I had to be able to engage uh, with really a diversity of artists of different disciplines. We had artists who would um, come in knitting sea urchins and talking about AI. Um, there were, yes, some, some you know, uh, actually AI scientists who wore both hats as an AI scientist and an artist. So there were really a diverse range of understanding of AI and a diverse uh, diversity of practices. Um, over 50% over women participating in, in these workshops. So we both, I think we all know there's a lack of uh, gender representation in, in AI. So it's really beautiful to see um, such a participation um, from, from, uh, from women in, in these workshops. Um, and um, through the sharing of those voices that I had the chance to hear um, last year, um, we are developing right now with Concordia University with the AP lab, the Applied Perception lab that's run uh, by Marta Kirsten Urtel and her students. We're working on an application. The application is a virtual gallery that will showcase the AI art pieces that I'm working on based on the same technique I, I explained earlier. So the uh, voices of the artists interpreted visually, and that is the entrance into each city's um, uh, gallery. So each city will have its gallery. And the application is, the uh, is, is interactive in the sense that people can leave feedback and ask and engage with, with the artists. Um, so that's uh, one way that we found of um, augmenting the voices that we heard of artists on, um, on AI. And um, so I think we're like the biggest collective AR artists that I know of, there's uh, over 200. I think actively speaking right now, we're starting to regroup and reconnect and build different projects together. So one of them is a interactive art. I call it magazine, but magazine and documentary right now are really becoming intertwined when we get into web immersive experiences. Um, so it's, it's a magazine slash documentary, but the idea is really to um, allow more of a dialogue around uh, with artists and about the role of art in AI ethics and AI in society. I'm actually really curious about uh, the virtual gallery because it's actually something that some other people I know that we were talking about, can we set up because it would be a great opportunity for artists to be able to showcase their work to a much larger audience and make a bigger impact. 
Now, obviously, there's some infrastructure challenges based on that, depending on where you are in the world. But, you know, that's one of the big things we always talk about is AI going to help increase kind of that social divide? Is it going to be the divider or is it going to be a solution to help kind of unite, bring people together? And from what I gather, a lot of your work is really trying to use like AI and art to help social inclusion. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think um, maybe three years ago, the, the first books that I started reading um, were Virginia Eubanks around automating inequality, uh, Kathy O'Neill's um, book on uh, math, methods of math destruction. And I, I immediately got really frustrated because you could, you, I could just see the problems and I wanted to jump to solutions as soon as I could. Um, and I, I think there's, there's many different ways that we can um, ensure that AI is, is developed to achieve the UN's sustainable development goals. And one, one of those um, sy systemic strategies and solutions is really to put AI in the hands of organizations who are uh, working for their community already. So it's all about bridging the digital divide because right now, these civil society organizations, community-based organizations, they don't have, including arts organizations, of course, do not have access to um, AI. And that that is, we move into a digital economy, will increase the divide. So any, um, and I think the first step is really around engagement because a lot of people are scared and because they're scared about the impact of AI, they don't engage. And those are the people that we want at the table. Those are the people that we want to be engaging and shaping um, AI. You brought up a really important word there, which is fear. You know, where, where do you think this fear comes from and how do we begin to mitigate it? Mm. That is a very um, interesting question. I've been, uh, I, I am part of different AI governance groups at an international level, and sometimes the conversation, the direction of the conversation that I hear, or even in um, business groups um, at a national level, um, I hear a, <laughs> leaders um, who will openly say that they want to create fear. I don't know what the strategy is because for me, uh, inducing fear about um, AI, I'm not talking about not being clear about the risks are and mitigating the risks, but inducing fear around what it can do um, disengages the people that we need at the table. So if you ask me who my... Um, analysis of who the people who are trying to induce fear is that they might have private interests to not have people engage. But I won't go any further for this podcast. That's very intriguing. Um, I'll, I'll leave it to Neil for his next question, but it, it seems intriguing that they want to induce fear. Mm -hmm. uh, but we can leave it right there. Well, I, uh, I'll, I'll kind of jump on a parallel track here. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent. We always talk about how technology is influencing art. But I really feel that art has a huge influence on technology. It actually sounds like that uh, Valentin, 
you're thinking that art might actually be able to help shape like governance around AI. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, exactly. And um, another uh, very um, recent and important paper that was published recently is called the Protocol Paper, Indigenous Perspectives and Artificial Intelligence. Um, Angie Abdillah is one of the two leaders um, who, who led the work around those workshops and the publication of that paper. And we um, had a chat uh, a couple days ago and she's in Australia, she's in Australia, I'm in Canada, and we finally connected. We've been, you know, trying to touch base for a couple of years now. And it was a really fascinating conversation because when we talk about um, the path from art to law, of course, I have a biased lawyer hat that sees, you know, how laws are built here in Canada. And I, I you know, I have my own set of ideas of what that path is. and. If, if you have a chance to, to read that protocol paper, there's a part in there that we rediscussed over the phone around how, especially in Australia, um, and I really don't want to misword anything, so I'm going to try to be very careful, but that the protocol is really an embodied experience of, of laws, that the laws um, are something that people live from within. And... I thought, okay, well, that's really opening up different paths in my mind of what the, the road is between art and, and law. And I will tie to that um, part of our art impact um, workshops that we led across Canada. One of the games that we played with the participant did allow for that embodied experience of one of the impact of AI. And so in that particular game, for example, um, they used, um, the, the designers are, um, let me just name them quickly to make sure that they all get the recognition they highly deserve. There's Gerald McGrath, Rad Siraj, Alex Lord, uh, Hiran Janine, Brian Dupuis, and Tyreek Phillips. Um, they did an amazing job at um, really um, capturing a current reality, which is the overrepresentation of Indigenous population in Canadian prisons. And the use of, of um, technology, of facial recognition technology in this case, and how that risks repeating a current reality instead of changing the current reality. Um, so I think that's where, um, I don't know if you're, if, you're talking about the path from like art as having an important role in the governance of AI. I was inspired by what Angie said because of that. Allow art does allow that embodied experience that, or, or other researchers call it the capacity to empathize with a certain situation, uh, and therefore engage with certain realities. So yes, that will that should be a really important tool in shaping the future of AI. It helps us envision our future and feel our future. Right. Um, and so obviously empathy is a very human trait. Um, and although there are efforts underway in terms of creating artificial empathy, what you're talking about, it seems to me, is finding ways in which art can help us to understand what other people are feeling more deeply. Do you feel that um, even in spite of advances in AI, is technology making us more empathetic or do you think it has an effect of um, desensitizing us, of making us more robotic-like? I mean, even to go back to fear for just a moment, I mean, I think that is a lot of 
the public perception around technology, especially AI, that it is dehumanizing. But would you say that it is a tool to allow us to be even more human and to understand what other people are feeling? I, I love that question because I think it's a twofold. Um, I think AI as a social phenomenon, not the technology necessarily itself, but as its deployment in society, it actually caused an increased investment in social science research. Um, I think investing in social science research is a sign that AI is increasing uh, a really systematic uh, desire to um, analyze and address certain social issues. So I don't know if you call that social empathy or <laughs> widespread empathy, but it's really a, a reaction to, I, I don't think I've ever heard about talking about bias in society so much. And I've been a human rights lawyer for a long time. I started my career at the Ombudsman's office in the welfare section um, many, many years ago. And maybe in my small circle of human rights-ish lawyers, we talked about human rights bias, discrimination, we talked about discrimination, but not necessarily bias. Right. So I think at a social level, at AI as a social phenomenon, it increased um, our capacity for empathy. From a technical perspective, I would really put my energy, money, time more on making sure that we can maintain empathy between social groups. I think AI is currently how it's applied with the business models that it's set in is increasing social divide. It is increasing polarization. It is affecting the media's capacity to retain trust and, uh, and engage with citizens. It's affecting our democracy. I think it's not AI itself, but it's the, the political and economic system and the business models that it's being deployed in and as. That, that's the big challenge though, right? At the end of the day, it's a tool and it's all about how we choose to wield it, right? And I think we're so used to being reactive as a society, you know, somebody builds something, you know, solution, but we don't think about the ways it could be misused, right? Or how it might be used in other ways for good. And that's the challenge that we have as people, but this actually ties into something that I keep saying is that we talk about, you know, the future, where, what are people gonna do? And everyone says it's about STEAM, right? Science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, where the jobs are. And I think there'll be a lot of jobs there, but I think we underscore that there's gonna to be tons of jobs. There's gonna be a huge demand for philosophers and artists as a whole, right? The need to have people think through these thought exercises and we're gonna trust machines to make recommendations or even decisions. What are the various scenarios? What are the things that could actually happen? And how do we shape the experience and how do we create motivations and behavior? I think a lot of jobs will be around kind of the human experience. And so, you know, you're talking about the, you know, triggered AI triggered a bunch of investment into social sciences or financial science, but also the need for the artists and shaping that experience. I mean, where, where do you see all this actually going? I mean, are, are we going to become life coaches and yoga instructors or are we going to be taking on bigger challenges and more advanced work? I mean, where do, where do you think AI and art will lead us to? Well, I can at least answer to what I am advocating and hoping and working hard to what I 
<laughs> the direction in which I hope it goes. Um, OECD um, lists um, four skills of the future and creativity, critical thinking, collaboration are three of the top skills that are required for the next um, digital economy. And uh, I think it's even, I think this COVID crisis is um, actually giving us an opportunity to really rethink um, models and change the story as the name of your podcast is in your background. Um, I think we do have an opportunity. Right now in Canada, the arts, cultural, creative sector is the hardest hit, yet it is amongst the top three drivers of innovation and economy. These artists are suffering. They're, they're hungry right now. Um, and there are discussions in Canada anyway for now to maybe put in place a uh, universal basic income. Mm -hmm. I used to hear that in the left circles with hippies, um, which of which my parents were part of. Um, UBI is this old lefty concept that has now become really mainstream that I hear in big economic forums at an international level. Um, so maybe this current situation is in alignment with how AI was already bringing concepts such as universal basic income at center stage with COVID. It is very closely becoming a reality right now in Canada. And maybe we will find, and I hope we do find ways to really put the value and value, concrete value to artists' work, not tokenized invitations to come and participate, but really trying to, and, and we talked, you talked about STEAM. Um, my definition of AI ethics and my definition of AI is multidisciplinary. I don't think you can have AI without understanding all the different facets that it has. It's becoming a social science in, in my, in my perspective, from my perspective. And in there, artists really have a very important role to, to play. I think economic recovery really lies on society's um, concrete support for the value that, that they bring to innovation. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to STEAM and just the whole future of what education might look like, um, from your experience, from your vantage point, what would you recommend to uh, younger artists or artists just starting out when it comes to these, I would call almost AI superpowers that, that are available? What, what would your advice be about how to get up and running using this technology? And also, what would your advice be about in terms of expression, how they can use this to even going back to empathy, how they can use this as a force for good? Mm. Oh, I have uh, tons of answers for that question. I'll try not to go on too long. Um, there are some um, easily accessible platforms developing um, as we speak, really over the start of the Art Impact workshops to now. I've seen, for example, Runway ML is, is one of them, go from a simple startup to right now having like over 30 different pre-digested type of applications. So uh, the, the, the work we did last year was a lot of outreach. So to make sure that it's not just people who are already interested in AI, but make sure that um, you know, the artists who are knitting sea urchins also feel welcome to come and join that conversation. And therefore joining that conversation from, um, from that different perspective might be, maybe you want to crochet about AI, and maybe you just want to be part 
of the discussion around its governance and use oil paint. Um, so I think it's really imp important to talk about AI as a tool, as a technological tool for creativity. I, I love seeing what AI sends back to me as a visual and question, mm, oh, is it my understanding? The, it's really a conversation because I'm trying to understand AI. So I'm increasing my AI literacy, technical literacy. Um, but it's also allowing me to participate in forums, for example, at the World Intellectual Property Organization, uh, yes, World, yes, WIPO, um, where they're discussing the changes and um, potential changes and adapting IP laws and global agreements to AI. And so I think it's really important that young artists engage on those kind of issues. Where's the authorship lie? Who owns the patent? If you're creating something, and the WIPO president concluded on such a beautiful note, he said, when we look at the use of art um, it, through AI, it's AI is basically using what humans created in, and remashing it. But he said, if we wanna have sustainable AI, we want to make sure that we have a thriving cultural artistic creative society that continues to to feed so the first time i heard that from that perspective um the term sustainable uh ai from a creative perspective um so that i think that's there's two different things. Like there's AI as a tool for creativity. It can be really fascinating. So for example, for me, we were talking about the app. Neil, you were curious about the app that we're working on. Um, there's different interactive features. And for example, I could use, um, you know, of course, with the, the permission of all the participants and explaining with transparency what we're doing, but we could collect the feedback from um, the, the, um, users of the application who decide to leave comments to the artists and with a, a, a enough data being collected we could use natural language processing for example to um, analyze the the sentiment where how are people feeling is people is, is people's feeling about ai changing is people about art economy like you could you know determine types of questions so you, you can really use it as a tool for, for dialogue between, and enhance that dialogue. And then the interpretation, again, as an artist, I have way too much imagination. I could go off with the sentiment analysis and do some beautiful, probably not beautiful, but fun representations uh, of that and continue the dialogue with society. Like the other thing that's really important for me is that AI ethics is, is a living de definition. I think once you write it down, what's ethical and what's not, you've lost a lot of its uh, uh, of its ethics essence because there's not enough people at the table right now to be able to write down what we think is a set of rules and what's ethical and what's not. So I, I believe that keeping that using technologies, like for example, through an application to engage more people on understanding AI's different application um, I, I would definitely, I, I, I'm passionate about that route, so it would be hard for me to tell uh, you artists coming in at pretty much any, any, anything else. I think the, my, the important thing is not to feel that you can't participate because you can't use tech tools. You could always be 
partaking in the discussion around it, the impact it has on you or the impact it has on your community. Right, right. It's a really, I mean, it's a really powerful tool for them to create new forms of art and performances and, you know, hopefully drive social impact. I'm, I'm kind of curious because I, I know you run these workshops for artists around how, you know, AI can impact them. What's the reception like from artists? I mean, are a lot of people really interested? Do they need a little coaxing? When they go through the workshop, you know, what tends to happen? Uh, there's a, a variety of reactions because there's artists of different ages, different backgrounds, different disciplines. I think what is striking, for example, um, is in Canadian North, uh, for example, in Nunavut, one of the territories, uh, I can't, believe, I can't remember the exact statistics, but I think it's 46 or 56% of the population has experienced um, uh, lack of access to nutrition. They, they, you know, they're basically hungry. That's in Canada. So when I went there to talk about AI, the reaction is, and, and the sculptors, the um, artists there are generally sculptors and they sell their art on, on Facebook. So for them, AI is just like a completely disconnected reality to um, the realities that they're in. Uh, if you can't access a dentist because you're too far north, you don't have a teacher because you're too far north, um, that, that's one end of the, that's one spectrum of the reaction that we get that's really important to address. The, in the same city, there's artists who are, you know, um, ex exhibiting in major museums uh, and uh, having these, using AI's interactive features um, and uh, it's you know mind-blowing what, what they're doing. It's their, their voice and it twirls and it moves and it's immersive and it's just dreamlike. Um, there were people who um, also are like up north very interested in using it as storytelling or very uh, east of Canada uh, interested in using um, AI as you know, something that can bring different local economies together and boost local uh, tourism, for example. Uh, so some artists really see it as a tool for uh, economic development, and um, um, others, it's too too far away from the reality to be able to reach. And uh, a lot of artists that I met in Canada are already um, using. Um, AI in, in art in some preliminary ways, exploratory ways. So if you had to make some predictions about the future, and I know that's very difficult, especially in these uncertain times, um, with the work that you're doing, especially around ethics and inclusion, and really it just sounds like overall trying to improve the human condition, what might the future look like, um, especially now with the infusion of more artistic-minded people in using this, this technology? Um, again, I, I think I'm, um, overall an, an, an optimist and I would like to, um, believe that artists can have, um, a better understanding of how they can use data for their art practice and for their communities. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing some, um, you know, data pools and data trusts. Um, data initiatives starting to emerge in, in Canada and uh, artists are coming together to um, give more visibility to the work. So they're using AI to improve their discoverability. And so 
So that's, that's one uh, very promising initiative uh, to preserve cultural diversity. Um, another one in Canada is the First, Nation, First Nations um, Data Governance Initiatives, and they're really collecting data to be able to offer services to their, to their community, um, including the artists, because the arts is extremely strong and vibrant in, um, in, in most, I don't want to generalize, but most indigenous communities. Um, so I think I, I, maybe one last little snippet of answer on, on that question is um, Yashua Bengio, which is um, one of the pioneers uh, in deep learning, uh, award-winning researcher in, in AI. Um, he says the future of AI really lies in the understanding of creativity and decision and attention in decision making. Uh, and artists have such an important role and such a natural talent to be able to, um, to are, are creative and curious and how they bring their attention to certain things, boosting that creative output that comes. Um, I think there's a bright future um, ahead. And um, yeah, I, there's a, an, an artist I spoke to just a couple of days ago and he's like, oh, my professors are telling me it's a bad time to come out of school. I said, no, no, this is a great time. Um, you know, society needs you more than ever. So yeah, I love that. I love the optimistic attitude, and it's the right attitude, right? I mean, I think we've seen that in this times of strife, there are lots of great opportunities, and I think uh, you know, Valentin, this has been fantastic. How do people stay in touch with you? How do they follow your work? Check out what's going on learn. I mean, there's probably a lot of artists out there that love to, you know, go through your workshop. How do they follow you? Oh, um, well, thank you. Uh, listen, there's the, the general website with the website of the nonprofit organization is allianceimpact.org. Um, and the, or Art Impact AI is the, the website for the Art Impact uh, AI workshops. And um, my, my email is in both websites. So allianceimpact.org or artimpactai.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Vavakalor. Um, <laughs> so V-A-V-A-C-O-L-O-R. And um, Instagram is Gebel. I've got, you'll find me. I'm pretty easy to find. Great. We'll make sure we put all that in the show notes for our audience so that you, you'll be able to check, connect you through all these channels. And, and with that, Valentin, I thank you. Your, your art is fantastic. Thank you for all your work in AI and ethics. But more importantly, thank you for being a, you know, a beacon of light and helping to champion you know, other people to help promote social inclusion and pursue you know, using AI for good. Thank you very much, Neil and Michael, for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Valentin. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you. Thank you.